Buddhist Geeks. Seriously Buddhist. Seriously Geeky. Episode 58, Crazy Wisdom Saves the Day. In this episode, Insight teacher Wes Nisker shares his thoughts on the value of crazy wisdom in the human experience. We end the talk with a segment from his comic monologue, an expression of his own crazy wisdom entitled Meeting the Buddha on the Road. This episode of Buddhist Geeks is sponsored by the Do No Harm Movement. To learn more about the Do No Harm Movement and to receive your free Do No Harm bumper sticker and wristband, please visit donoharm.us. to mention that you have a book coming out pretty soon um, in April actually and it's entitled uh, Crazy Wisdom Saves the World Again. Right. And I was wondering if you could say a little bit about that and also about what is crazy wisdom or at least the way you're talking about it. Crazy wisdom I think was coined by Chogyam Trungpa as a way of talking about these wild Buddhist masters who teach with uncommon or unique skillful means wild and um, you know, not encumbered by sort of religiosity or not worried about doing the rituals right, but are just, uh, you know, have this deep understanding and are playful and let their wild personalities just come through, flow through. And that term really struck me as important and interesting in that I, I thought, well, you know, some of my heroes... Western and Eastern have, have been crazy wisdom masters, and I include in those the great saints of Buddha and Jesus and uh, Rumi and Kabir, and then also the existentialists who really were important in my own awakening, Nietzsche and Camus, and the artists over the centuries, the Dadaists and the jesters and you know, the coyote, the tricksters of, of the Native American tradition, you know, all these figures and, and the comedians, the stand-up comics and the, the chaplains of the world and the, the Marx brothers. And I mean, they're all trying to tell us that, you know, this is an impossible human condition and that it's, life is not a practical joke, it's an impractical joke. And, you know, we're all caught in it. And so I put all my heroes together in this book called Crazy Wisdom, or and now it's the, the latest uh, version of it is called The Essential Crazy Wisdom. And I divide the crazy wisdom masters into four archetypal characters, the clown, the jester, the trickster, and the holy fool. And I just try to show how all of these figures through history have taught us and made us laugh and uh, lightened us up and, you know, I mean, holy fool, some people may be offended to think of Jesus, say, as a holy fool, but he was considered a fool in his lifetime, you know, mm. he was just this ragged preacher or rabbi who walked around, you know, in robes and long hair and and uh, challenged the authorities and the, the set ways of his time, and so right. did the Buddha, the Buddha right. challenged the Hindu authorities and the Brahmins, and it, you know, it's just uh, the uncommon and the the challenge of the outsiders of society and cultures and civilizations. You know, have created 
you know, usually they are the prophets, the ones who create the next truth. As, as Oscar Wilde said, all great truths begin as blasphemy. Hmm. <laughs> anyway, I, that's a short, you know, synopsis of what crazy wisdom is, what my version of crazy wisdom is. And I've always loved, you know, the stories of the Zen masters who jump over the monastery walls and go to the red light district and have wine and hang out with the kids and refuse to go into the temple and be some stuffy old Zen master. Right. Is that uh, Benkai, one of those guys? Oh, yeah. And the Tibetans have a few of them. Dukpa uh, Kunli, who, yeah, went around uh, bowing to fornicators and uh, drunks and saying, you know, you're all you're all wonderful. You're all enlightened. You're not going to go to hell. You know, I have all these guys. There's lots of lots of these characters. In the Native American tradition, you know, they have the trickster figures, the mudheads, and the you know these guys who. But it's built into the liturgy. They'll do a a very sacred dance, say, for in instance, in the Hopi tradition, a sacred corn dance or something. And uh, in the middle of it, these guys will come in with big phalluses hanging, you know, big cloth phalluses, and they'll start pull women or out of the crowd and start humping and doing a humping dance and just kind of <laughs> reminding everybody that, you know, of, of these very basic instincts that we all have and that that too is part of the sacred, you know, that our Judeo-Christian traditions have really left that, that stuff out and uh, it's healthy to acknowledge it and to ritualize it too and to bow down to it nice cool thank you so much for being here and i just want to mention again that people can find out more about you and and can find out about the books you've written and also your teaching schedule because you're teaching retreats quite often uh, at westnisker.com and also i just want to end this conversation by sharing uh, a clip from your comic monologue which you sent us and which we're really happy to share a little bit with our listeners my first meditation retreat in Bodh Gaya, India, just a few blocks away from where the Buddha was enlightened, supposedly. And uh, my teacher was this jolly, rotund Indian man named Goenka. And he would sing these beautiful Buddhist chants to us every morning and evening in a deep baritone. Anicca avata sankara upadawayada mino All things are impermanent. It is their nature to arise and disappear. Happy are those who can live deeply with this truth. That first retreat, meditation retreat, was the most shocking experience of my life. I was 28 years old, but nobody in my culture had told me that you can actually step outside of your own drama, outside of your psyche, and observe yourself. And that first look was pretty disturbing. As the sages say, self-knowledge is often bad news. (laughs) The instructions were simple. The instruction was to just pay attention to your breath and nothing else. Don't do intentionally do anything else. So I started paying attention to my breath and immediately became aware that my mind continued to think and make plans and have fantasies and without even consulting me. (laughs) 
And then when I would discover that I was lost in thought, that my mind was lost in thought, another voice would arise and begin criticizing me for being distracted. And it wasn't my fault. I began to realize that my mind has a mind of its own, and it's a mess. What was really disturbing was that my mind insisted on singing to me. And not New Age meditation music, no. Pop songs with good hooks, you know? Rolling on a river over and over again. Sometimes a song would pop into my head that was on an album side I was familiar with. I would track through the album side and flip it over and play the other side. And I wasn't doing it. I wasn't doing it, and I couldn't turn it off. Many Western meditators have commented on this phenomenon. We call it jukebox karma. We are really programmed with that stuff. When I first started meditating, and I've talked to a number of friends who who say they also had this idea that, that somehow I thought I could get a new personality, that I could become someone who would be easier to live with. <laughs> but after years of meditating, I basically have the same personality. However, I think that I have learned not to take this personality quite so personally. <laughs> Truly, I, I've begun to regard my personality as, as like a pet. Yeah, it's always there, and I take care of it. Sometimes I let it off the leash. But it's not me. And more and more over the years, I've come to sense a shift in my primary identity. More and more, I begin to experience this breath and this heartbeat and these emotions and these thoughts as just life living through me, as evolution living through me, the human condition living through me. And I have gained a, much more of a sense of ease with myself. And as the sages say, once you begin to let go of yourself, you begin to gain the world, and your heart begins to open more and more to the world. And that really, truly is the sweetest gift of all. As the great sage Nisargadat Maharaj, contemporary sage, says, Wisdom tells me I'm nothing. Love tells me I'm everything. And in between the two, my life flows. Join us for the fourth annual Buddhist Geeks Conference, hosted in partnership with Mindful Cyborgs and Shambhala Sun from October 16th through the 19th in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. This year's conference will be exploring the convergence of Buddhism with modern culture and technology through informative keynote presentations, idea-packed TED-style talks, self-organizing community dialogues, and contemplative workshops and practice periods. This year's list of presenters includes the world's most quantified man, Chris Dancy, abbot of the village Zendo in New York City, Roshi Pat Enkyo O'Hara, and pragmatic Dharma provocateur, Daniel Ingram, as well as many others. For more information and to register, visit BuddhistGeeks.com conference. After nearly a year in private beta, the Buddhist Geeks Network 
is now open for any independent practitioners who want to engage in interdependent practice. You can find out more about the Buddhist Geeks Network by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. And if you'd like to join the community and join us in regular social meditation practice or other events that we host there in the network, all freely offered, you're very welcome to do so, again, by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. Love to see you there.